You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. Revelation 5, 13-14 in the Christian Standard Bible. I have heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. In this section of scripture, there is a Lamb who just sitting on the throne in heaven. He's uh, taking a scroll in his hand. Hooves, I don't know. After the Lamb takes the seat, Before he begins to open these seals, there are these three different worship sessions of elders and creatures singing out praises. And this is the last song of praise in this pericope. Um, All of creation seems to join in at this point. Dr. Ord, who do you say this lamb is and why should his presence on the throne excite all creatures to worship in this way? I have no idea, but I suspect the lamb (laughs) is some sort of representation of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's poetry, so it's always kind of foolish to try to be literal about uh, anything in poetry. So, yeah. So probably not hooves. <laughs> yeah. Christian, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? I mean, from how I read it, it looks like this is uh, Jesus at the end being worthy of all honor and praise coming from all living things that have turned to him and repented of their sins. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, possibly your favorite church unity podcast. I'm Joshua Knoll. No one cares about that, but I am here with, with, let's just say I'm here with two fantastic guests, Christian Ashley of Let Nothing Move You, and of course, the one and only, our our favorite man to bring on and discuss, I don't want to say argue with, (laughs) (laughs) differing opinions, Uh, the one and only Dr. Tom Ord, um, definitely our favorite um, I want to say definitely our favorite open and relational theologian, but we've also had Josh Patterson on. He's pretty cool. I want to say, he is cool. don't tell him you might be our favorite, but we're also here with the greatest co-host to ever co-host who is so great. Cameras cannot capture his greatness. So if you're watching on YouTube, you might just see a, a blank space with a voice coming from it. The one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. How's it going? Uh, it's going, you know, yeah. in the shadow realm here, I'm feeling good. Perfect. Perfect. And today we uh, we're going to be continuing our, our discussions with Dr. Ord. Uh, Christian and I uh, originally had a discussion of differing opinions when it came to ideas of omnipotence. And somehow that led into our discussion of differing ideas of how to love the LGBTQ community, which naturally brought up what does it mean to be saved, which makes us think of hell, which made me think, let's talk about differing ideas of hell. So today we're going to discuss whether or not it's possible to have Christian unity and not agree on what hell is, or if it exists. Right. Uh, but we want to get you to go to the Anazal Ministries Podcast Network website. For other shows like ours, there's some really cool stuff over there. You just you got to be there to understand. And if you are listening to this on the YouTube channel, uh, go ahead and hit like and subscribe for us. I'll be sending a dollar to everybody that does. Uh, leave your full bank details in the comments, and we will get back to you for that. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Is it worth the risk? 
Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. But with that, that brings me to my favorite form of unity that we're all familiar with. Today is super simple. Uh, it's a spiritual practice called silliness. And today we're going to discuss what is your least favorite spicy food? I just feel like TJ is probably the most prepared to answer this for some reason. TJ, do you have a least favorite spicy food just off the top of your head? So, no, not really. I was thinking that too. Oh, actually, you know what? I got mine. Anything buffalo, because buffalo sauce is just really vinegary, and I don't like the taste of vinegar. It has nothing to do with the spice. Just That's only fair. Vinegar. Yeah. yeah. I might have to agree with you. Mm. Buffalo nice. sauce is just not good. Mm. Yeah. Controversial, firm stance by the whole church. Yeah. <laughs> Unity, unless buffalo sauce. Um, Christian. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so underqualified for this answer. I'm very white and spices i can only handle so much so buffalo is about as far as i go to be perfectly honest <laughs> that's fine so, uh, least favorite would be any heat index or whatever above that hmm. my grandpa wouldn't even pepper his food wow. just hated spice yeah <laughs> dr ord least favorite spicy food well i can make it unanimous i also am don't particularly like buffalo sauce but uh, you know, it's funny, as I've gotten Perfect. older, my spice toleration has decreased. I ate much huh. spicier food as a younger person than I can eat now. So um, just generally, when I go to, a, let's say, a Thai restaurant or someplace like that, I will ask for mild because now I'm a wimp. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I can change my answer because I did think of one that I actually don't like. It's spicy tuna. I love tuna, regular tuna. It's one of my favorite foods. Spicy tuna, though, I'm just not a fan. I, I don't think I've ever had that. But, yeah. Dr. Ord did remind me, though. I had one grandfather that wouldn't even pepper his food. The other one, as he got older, it just became harder and harder for him to taste. And at some point, he just only wanted, like, spicy sausage. Because <laughs> it's like, this is the thing that I can taste. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I could go one way or the other when I get older. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, last time we had Dr. Ord and his daughter Alexa on the show to discuss LGBTQ plus issues and had some of our differences and opinions and also promoted their book, Why the Nazarene Church Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. And while we were discussing there, you touched on the idea that unity and uniformity are different. Would you mind explaining what you meant by that, Dr. Ord? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I – am I oh, – No, no, you go ahead. I'm, I'm interested <laughs> in your answer because – the way this actually played out was I said that and he asked me why. <laughs> <laughs> so I like where he answers instead. This is more fun. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the truth is I'm still trying to figure out what it means to be unified in the body of Christ. I, I got to admit, I have a hard time figuring that out, but I know that I don't want to affirm what I think of as uniformity which means that everybody has to think the exact same way on even the issues that we might consider secondary or even tertiary. The problem for me is uh, deciding on what grounds we can say we're unified. Like, um, you know, some people say, well, we're unified because we all believe in Jesus. Well, okay, but we have some very diverse views of what Jesus did 
what his significance is, his divinity, all that sort of stuff. So maybe if we set kept it super, super, super general and say Jesus is important, well, then maybe we're on the same road, but I mean, same path. Um, so for me, it's hard to decide what are the essentials around which we should find our unity. Hmm. Right. So my answer to that is very um, – what, what's, what's the word? It's, it's not linguistic, but it's – um. Man, any other day I, I would know this. Semantic. I have a very semantic answer. Um, I think uniformity is more of a thing. We have uniformity. That is like we all agree on the same thing. It is like – whereas unity is more of like a descriptor, like friendship. Like I could say that TJ is my friend and I could say that Dr. Ord is my friend. And I don't think I would offend Dr. Ord if I told him that that's two different levels of friendship. Like I've known TJ a majority of our lives. <laughs> Like, so I think, you know, in one sense, we probably all have unity, something about we love Jesus and we want to promote love. We all have that level of unity. But then I think the further we go, the less unity we probably have where you can't use that kind of descriptor with uniformity. Um, For example, Christian and I still have unity of God being all powerful. But at that point, Dr. Ord would have to break off and be like, I'm not in unity over that particular part of this. Um. And, you know, Dr. Ord and I will have unity over the Bible's probably not inerrant, whereas Christian would be like, yeah, I'm going to have to break off from that, you know? So I think there's different levels of unity, and that's where we use our tier system, and that's really an insufficient model, but it's it's done good enough that we roll with it. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the main problems you come across when talking about Christian unity is what level of flanderization are you willing to accept before you got to be like, okay, well... That's too simple. That's not what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're all in Christian unity if we breathe. <laughs> yeah. That's well, what that's, the song is about. Every breath I make, I make in you. You make me move Jesus. I <laughs> <laughs> ah, get it. <laughs> well, that's I think the other end of the spectrum, which is if you make it so broad that you can include everybody, mm-hmm. then it seems like you're including lots of people who would not identify with the Christian faith at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the most loving people I know are Buddhists who are not followers of Jesus, who don't even believe in God. So if you say, well, what unifies us is love. Well, OK, I think that's great. But that extends far beyond the Christian tradition, as I see it. Yeah, I often uh, I have a friend who is a atheist agnostic, and I do often make the joke of how he is way more Christian than a lot of my Christian friends. <laughs> yeah. By that it's you sad, mean but it's loving? also kind of true. Yeah, like he, he's a lot yeah. more like the Jesus I read about (laughs) and a lot of the people I go to church with. This reminds me, um, forgive me if I'm repeating myself from a previous conversation, but it reminds me of the presidential race between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. And the question was, you know, who's the real Christian? And Barack Obama at the time was getting criticized for his uh, statements about liberation theology. And, you Mm -hmm. know, from, for the conservative crowd, he was considered way too liberal to be a Christian. But Romney comes from the Mormon tradition, which some people think is Christian and some people don't. And so the question is, okay, would the real Christian please stand up and how do we decide? Hmm. I was eight when that happened, so I don't remember that, but it sounds interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Dr. Ord, now that we've already kind of got into some of the weeds of what unity even is, (laughs) uh, some of that stuff we were talking about last time, we, we talked 
a lot of what our opinions and stances are and where we disagreed, but we didn't get too far into how can we work together or like what ways. So do you think there are any ways um, as far as like how we work together or treat each other as brother and sister in Christ? Like, is there any way for it to be functional if we disagree over some of those issues we talked about last time with like the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, I think we can function together despite our differences. Um, you know, for instance, I think no matter what stance you take, you should try to listen carefully to people who think differently from you and then try to formulate their ideas in the most charitable way possible so that mm -hmm. you can represent them in a way that they would feel comfortable being represented. I think that's just a, 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 a way of being kind in the midst of conversation. Um, so, you know, obviously sometimes passions and emotions get really high. Uh, they do for me, they do for others. And um, we need to, I think, try do our best to exert some self-control in, in relation to those emotions and passions. Not that emotions mm -hmm. and passions are inherently bad, but we just have to be careful to, you know, be angry, but don't <laughs> sin. Don't, yeah. uh, don't cause unnecessary harm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So another thing that we mentioned in the last episode was how we might have different views of salvation itself. Uh, this will probably lead into the main topic today. Can we all just give our own definitions of salvation and spend a minute explaining what we all mean by that term? Who'd like to go first? TJ? So uh, to me, salvation is as simple as accepting that God is your Savior, allowing him into your heart to be saved. Is that, is that the question we're asking? Or salvation as a whole. Yeah, see, I think that's more how to be saved and less what is it. That's a that's a much more complex question mm. than I'm going to need about a Josh's answer of time sure. to figure out for myself. <laughs> hmm. Granted, then that's fair. I'll uh, I'll say then. Honestly, how I define what salvation is probably depends on how optimistic I'm feeling that day. <laughs> like, I, like I know that's awful, fair. but fair. I. I don't have it all figured out. Like there's a lot of theological ideas that like a lot of times I lean pretty close to universalism when I'm feeling like really optimistic about life and the world and everything. But then there's days where I'm like, no, nah, salvation is just slowly dying to yourself and getting over, <laughs> you know, like I'm like, is it God rectifying me and loving me more and more and more and I'm becoming more like God or am I dying to the bad parts of myself? So I, I don't know. I guess I'd probably define it as somewhere in between there of losing those bondages or things that are holding me back from the best me I can be in God and also gaining more and more love and becoming more and more like him. Um, I definitely think of it as a process, which is probably different than how a lot of our listeners probably think of uh, what it means to be saved. But that's kind of a convo. I, as always, I have a convoluted answer. Yeah. <laughs> you ready to go, TJ? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if there is an easy answer here. Not the more I think about it. There's not. <laughs> cool. So it's just like a, you, you know it when you see it? Is that a? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think generally salvation is being saved. Hmm. And as simple as I can put it, as simple as it probably can be put, is that's what I think salvation is. Okay, mm -hmm. Tom? Well, when I think about this question, I think about a longstanding discussion within the Christian tradition between what we typically call the Eastern Church and the Western Church. The Western churches typically understood salvation in judicious or juridical terms, which means that salvation is about having the right uh, position 
being um, uh, being acquitted, you might say, at a trial. So the idea is that we stand before God, we're guilty of sin, the case is laid out, and God's going to pronounce us guilty and therefore deserving punishment of some kind, if it's hell or whatever it is. But something happens. Jesus takes our place. Jesus pays the price. Jesus does something that reverses our particular standing before God from being guilty to being not guilty. And therefore, we are saved. I don't like that view. I think it's the wrong way to go. But it's been the main way of thinking about salvation in the West, including evangelicalism today. I prefer a more Eastern approach. In the Eastern Church, they talked about salvation as a kind of healing, as therapeutic. That is, we have something about us that has changed. We once were broken. We once were uh, addicted. We once were slaves to sin. We were living a life that didn't bring about the kind of genuine happiness or joy that God wanted. And salvation then means moving to a life of joy, of happiness, of real healing in, re in right relationship with God and others. So if I have to pick salvation, I would say it's something like, a change from living a life oriented toward destruction to living in a life oriented toward well-being or love. Mm. I like that. Also, I, I'm going to have to do the cheesy plug in here. Uh, as a crossover of two of the other podcasts I'm a part of, uh, Systematic Geekology and Dummy for Theology, I, uh, I did a review of an episode of Star Trek and talked about the varying different atonement theories in Christianity. So I might, I might drop that link in the show notes. I think it's worth checking out personally and uh yeah surprising absolutely no one uh, i'm the opposite of what thomas said in that, <laughs> in that uh you know salvation is you know something between that person and god that coming to the point of brokenness and saying i can't be who i used to be i need to come to you and be better than myself you're the only one who can do that for me jesus and then living in a relationship with him knowing along the way we're going to fail we're going to screw up but nothing can take that salvation away it is a permanent decision made whenever God says so. I'm not going to debate that right now. We could do 20 episodes on that topic alone, but it's that moment of coming to him, realizing I'm not enough, only he is, and then continually working to be like he is, knowing I'm never going to be like him in this world, but working towards it anyway. You know, sometimes I forget you're a Baptist. This isn't one of those times. <laughs> Can I, ask, can I ask Christian a clarifying question? Go for it. I, I, I heard you use two kinds of language in your explanation. You, you, like your, one of your very last lines was coming to Christ. But at the very beginning, you, you used language that sounded like Jesus does everything. Um, do you, in your view of salvation, do we have any role to play in salvation or is salvation entirely god's election god's choosing god's you know predestined you calvinist no well, well maybe that's a question too but i just was curious because you used some language that sounded like you were doing something but other language just <laughs> sounded like god was doing it all what how would you think think about that no i'm grateful you asked that question because there's a lot of people out there would go wait what did you just say because i'm not a predestination only. I'm not a free will only. I'm a yes and. And I know somewhere along the way, God chose from out of everyone you know, that has ever existed that this one's going to be mine. 
knowing I would be the person to say yes. So uh, is that something I'm willing to take a bullet for? Not really, but that's where I land on it. Hmm. True two and a half point Calvinist. (laughs) (laughs) As usual, I have to take my own road instead of what everyone else wants to. Yeah. Yeah. There are some people in my tradition who take a view kind of like that. I call it compatibilism. They'll Mm -hmm. say, God alone saves. And then they'll say, but we have to choose our salvation, which to me is contradictory, but it's kind of sounds like what you're saying there. We have a role to play, yet also God does it all. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty common view, actually. I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... But the, t- the bulk of today's episode is going to be about hell and what the Bible says about it. Uh, so we're going to discuss the different ideas we hold about hell and whether we can be in unity while holding this kind of disagreements. And before we get started, would everyone mind explaining their views on whether hell exists and what it is if it does exist? We're taking a very, hey, here's what we believe stance for a change once on the on the whole church <laughs> podcast yeah thank yeah. god are, are you also gonna just give your stance or are you gonna stay anonymous i would love to stay anonymous, say we but i can it does say we i think you should <laughs> i think you should first me yep. me first yeah um whether it exists or not i'm gonna say maybe <laughs> uh i i well, think i'm not surprised i think even if i were a literalist the bible leaves me in this place where either Hell definitely exists and people go there and it's figurative when the Bible says that all are saved and just like all sinned, all are going to Christ or the Bible's literal when it says all are saved and it's figurative when talking about hell. So if I was a literalist, I'd face that problem. Luckily, I don't think the Bible is necessarily inerrant, so I could play around with that a little bit. Um, but it's still, I don't know, it's weird the way that it's talked about in scripture and from all these other great theologians and philosophers before me. I'm like, I, I don't know. I think if hell does exist, to me, it does not make sense for it to be eternal torture. That seems out of character for God. It seems out of touch with what a lot of the language of the Bible is talking about. And I'm just like, I, if hell exists, I, I would take an annihilationist view. If it doesn't exist, then I'm going universalist. And that's where... I hate to be flip floppy, but like I said, I'm not the smartest. I'm, but right now I'm in between these two and I'm still working out what my own beliefs are. So that's where I'm at. All right. So uh, for me personally, this has always been one of those issues where uh, I've not researched the topic because it does not matter to me. <laughs> you don't I'm plan not on going? going. <laughs> I'm not going to hell. Not if I can help it. And if I can't help it, I hope I don't go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I guess yeah. that's fair. Does that enough. make sense? I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, yes. N- knowing you, that's exactly what I expected. <laughs> no. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Christian, what are you, what is hell? Hell, whatever the heck it is. Nah, I say using heck instead of hell for some reason. That right was now. really ironic. <laughs> yeah. No, un- totally unplanned. Is a place of. Suffering for people who have said no, will forever say no, and cannot abide in the presence of God, who has refused to have their sins forgiven. Um, it is a terrible place. It's a place Jesus said it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want nothing to do with it, but I don't live in fear of it. Not just because I am saved, but that was not something that was the deciding factor to say yes to Jesus. And I think if there's someone out there that's something you're worrying about right now. 
don't let that fear consume you. Say, oh, I'm just getting my get out of hell free card. And fear is a terrible motivator for working in the gospel. Yeah, correct. <laughs> All right, Tom, Doctor Ord, what do you what do you think? What what is hell to you? Well, I have a different opinion than um, I think it was TJ, but I can't remember. Did TJ you go second? Yes. Yeah, I think it really does matter, and it is a big deal. I think that if hell exists in the traditional sense of, you know, some kind of fiery place with eternal conscious torment, then I want not only not to go there, but I don't want to go to heaven either. I think any God who creates or allows a kind of hell that involves eternal conscious torment is not perfectly loving, and I'm morally superior to that God, and I would rather not spend any time with that being. I see. Hmm. <laughs> How's that for blunt? <laughs> hmm. So as far as it, when the Bible talks about hell, are you just say those are passages are wrong or do you still find them useful and just think of it differently? Yeah, I do find them useful. Um, I think they, when the passages talk about punishment or hell, um, you know, you, you guys probably know that the Bible, the Bible doesn't have a consistent view on these issues and uses words like Gehenna and Hades and et cetera. Um, I think those are ways of talking about death and the natural negative consequences that come from saying no to love. And we can experience those natural negative consequences in this life. And I happen to believe in an afterlife. I think we can experience them in the next. So that let's say, let's take one of the most, um, uh, powerful passages at the end of the sheep and goat story where Jesus says, you know, you guys did to the least of these, you've done it under me. And the folks who didn't help, weren't kind, didn't love in that way. They experience fire and eternal, I don't know, you guys can probably look up the passage, but it's pretty graphic. Um, I don't take that graphic language as uh, describing a literal place with literal fire. But I do take that passage as describing the crappy life that comes from living selfishly, the crappy life that emerges when we don't help the least of these. Okay. So mm. do you yeah. do you think there are, are strengths and weaknesses of your view of hell or what do you what are they if, if so? Yeah, well, maybe I should explain my view. <laughs> um, and we've already mentioned some of the options uh, when we talked about universalism annihilationism or what some people called uh, conditionalism, and then the traditional hell, heaven and hell view. I got problems with all three of those. I'm not a classical univer universalist. The view that I propose, I call a relentless love view. And it says this, moment by moment in everyone's life, God invites us to a relationship of love. And moment by moment, we can freely choose to cooperate with God or not. When we don't cooperate with God, God doesn't punish us in the sense of throwing lightning strikes or making us ill or whatever. But there are natural negative consequences to saying no to love. That's just the way love is. If you say no to love, you're saying yes to something that's other than loving, which is negative. I happen to think that this continual invitation from God continues beyond bodily death. So I do believe in the afterlife in the sense of continued subjective experiences. 
And in that state of being, we continue to have those choices and we can end up developing a loving relationship with God or not. But even in the afterlife, God never, ever gives up on anybody. So I have the hope of a kind of universal reconciliation, but not the kind of guarantee that most universalists uh, have, because I don't think God has the kind of power to force anyone to say yes. Hmm. All right. Hmm. So that question does also go out to everyone else. I just thought it'd be convenient to hit Dr. Ward first. So Josh, (laughs) uh, what are the strengths and weaknesses to your viewpoint? However, whichever you choose. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. My first weakness is that I can't choose. <laughs> so, no, um, I mean, as far as the universalist stuff, I, I think the biggest strength really comes down to this language of he's making all things new. All are going to be saved, you know, throughout the Bible. It, it seems to be that. And if we're going to believe that God is love and he is all loving, how can we believe that the all loving God who created everything and is all powerful, according to my view, could exist in a world where he's not going to eventually reconcile everything to him. It doesn't make sense. So I feel like as far as universalists go, wow, that's right there. And especially, I think the biggest strength is the verse in Romans where it says, just as all sinned in Adam and were you know, made dead in Adam, all are now alive and saved in Christ. You can't say all means all here, but all does not mean all here in the same sentence. Like that just doesn't work. So that's my universalist side. The annihilationist side is, you know, uh, my experience in nature, my experience in this world is for some things to live, some things have to die. You know, you go through the Bible and you have this language, you have these parables like where Jesus talks about the, uh, the vine and the bad fruit gets cut off and burned away. You know, it gets destroyed so that the vine can continue to live. You have this language of the Greeks language. A lot of the times when it says like eternal damnation or whatever, it's actually more like eternal destruction or eternal elimination, which sounds a lot less like eternal torture and a lot more like eternally that's gone now. So I I don't know. Um, I I think those are the strengths of those, the weaknesses. Yeah. It does talk about gnashing of teeth in the Bible, right? It does talk about the worms. There's a whole history of a lot of smarter people than me disagreeing with me. Um, But I still have to come back with both of these views thinking if God is love, I just can't see a world where he lets people torture forever i love my dog and i could not live in a world where he tortured even for months you know like it just it's incomprehensible to me so that'll be my final statement before christian shows us both what the bible really says (laughs) so i so you know josh we've talked about god being outside of time right who's to say spanking copper for his misdeeds is not an eternity for him how long does that last for him I think Copper probably experiences time pretty relevantly close to how I experienced time. Mm. So a little bit of suffering is is okay. A little, yeah, a little, okay. little bit's fine. Right. <laughs> Suffer in this life. I, I think all of our decisions we make in this life do have consequences, but I think that doctrine and idea is separate for me from the idea of hell itself, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, so I did go second, so I will go second or third, I guess, now, but... I feel like most of the weaknesses in my viewpoint have already been covered by others. Uh, you know, the questions of <laughs> God's morality. But the strength is me, so. You're your own strength? Yeah. All right. You know, I just want to point out Thomas J. Ord and 
TJ have never been seen in the same room or podcast. <laughs> right. That is correct. As many times as he's been on the show, there's always been some technical issue that prevented me from being there or prevented us from appearing together. Mm-hmm. It's kind of getting suspicious. Yeah. So Christian, I'd like what to make a... Huh? Can I make a comment on another word that's showed up in our conversations quite a bit? And that's the word eternal. Mm. Um, The biblical language, the New Testament particularly, that word is usually identified with the word aeon or eon. And that doesn't always mean everlasting in the sense of a limitless duration of time. Oftentimes it means something about a quality of life or a, a period of time. And so if you look that up and, and like watch carefully how translators work with that word, the same word is sometimes translated eternal, other times everlasting, other times a period of time or ages. So I don't think there's, there's um, unanimity within scripture on what we mean by eternal. And my own preference is to think that eternal life usually means something like a quality of life versus a quantity of life. So, you know, one of the first verses I memorized as a little boy was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If that eternal life means a quality of life, not necessarily a quantity, and if perish there means not that I will never die, but that I will uh, avoid a kind of destructive way of living, then the verse makes a whole lot more sense to me and is far more motivating than the notion that I would literally live forever. Yeah. So many people forget the Bible wasn't written in English. (laughs) How convenient would it be if it was? (laughs) Oh, so convenient. Yeah. You know, we'll just petition him for a second edition. (laughs) I hate English. I can say that because I minored in it. Oh, man. So, Christian, what are the strengths and weaknesses of your view on hell? I mean, I would argue mine's a little truer to the text in the way that we look at God and how he punishes sin and how he looks at us as people loving us, yet at the same time, knowing that not everyone's going to say yes, not everyone's going to come to him. I mean, uh, could you imagine a world where after, you know, final judgment, what have you, and King Ahab is running around with us and never once having a moment of repentance in his life. Or, gosh, I mean, if you want to invoke Godwin's law, that Hitler is running around with us in heaven and never once said, hey, maybe I was wrong or no, I was definitely wrong. And I can't imagine a God in a very converse sense there uh, that would look at someone who never would want to repent, never will repent and says, well, you're coming in anyways. That to me, as someone who does value free will, I mean, if I have to choose one or the other a little more, I'm a little higher on that one. It's a very unnoticeable difference if you're just looking at the graph, but it's there. But I can't say see him going to someone, you've denied me, denied me, denied me. You're continuing to deny me. I'm going to bring you in. That doesn't sound very loving to me, to all the people who did say yes, who did recognize who they were and what they needed to change about themselves. Now, weaknesses, most definitely, you could very well argue, and I might even agree with you, this is this is not a very compassionate view. It's not a very, uh, no one would ever accuse me of being a humanist. It's not a very humanist view of 
looking at people and loving them based on that merit. So that's what I'll throw out there. So do you think God loves equally or equitably? Excellent question. You'd have to ask him. Hmm. Yeah, that's not a good answer. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, we can't it's be not. throwing the mystery card left and right in our conversation today. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> I love mystery, and I haven't even done that yet. <laughs> I actually agree with part. I, I agree with part of what Christian said. I hmm. don't think it's loving for God to force people into heaven who don't want to be there. I'm with Christian on that point. I disagree with him in thinking that the Bible supports his view better than some of these alternatives, but I agree with him on that point. Right. So my answer was equitable. I just wanted to be a jerk. Okay. I thought so. <laughs> so I do deserve to be there anyway. Uh, so could you provide, you kind of did already cause you are a literalist, but uh, reasons why our views aren't as strong as yours, Christian. I mean, once again, just going to how I look at God from what he reveals to himself in scripture of someone who is perfect and holy and cannot abide in the presence of sin. Well, something has to happen for that sin to be taken away for me to be in his presence. That being, of course, the sacrifice of Jesus. But if someone doesn't accept that, there's no purification. There's no way to be in his presence free of what he righteously destroys hmm. okay uh tom uh and the question is for me again uh so could you provide reasons why our views aren't as strong as your view i feel like mine. you're probably okay. the most well prepared for this question <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i think any view that forces people to do things is going to be inherently unloving so if you're a universalist and you think God forces people into heaven, then I think your God is less than loving. If you're a person who believes in eternal conscious torment and hell, that God sends some people to that, then your your God is less than loving. Christian's God, if I understand him, can't be in the presence of sin, which means he also doesn't have an omnipresent God, which is a kind of a bummer. Um, so he's got a, a God who can only be in some places <laughs> at some times. And he's got a God who has to be just and fair, which means he's got to reward the good and punish the bad, which means he can also be a forgiving God to everybody. That's a real disadvantage. Um, I think the annihilationist view has the advantage of not having an eternal hell, but has the major disadvantage that God gives up on people. God says to someone who has had a sinful life, you know, you're hopeless. I'm not going to resurrect you. I'm not going to uh, give you any more chances to repent. You're hopeless. And I think love never gives up. So I think that's a weakness there. The weakness in my view, which I, I didn't realize I was supposed to talk about that er earlier. So let me admi <laughs> admit my the weakest part of my view. The weakest part of my view is I have a God who's not omnipotent, who's really strong, the strongest being in the universe, but can't control others. And so the weakness of my view is I don't have the guarantee that everyone will eventually say yes to God because I don't have a God who can force anyone to say yes. Now, I think that's a better weakness than the weakness that says that God does force people, but I want to admit that is a weakness in my view. I can't have a guaranteed 
eschatological reconciliation of all things. Okay. So, all right. so my view is flawless, is what you're saying. I have no weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> Said Thomas J. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Repeat your view again. Oh yeah, my view. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to hell. Yeah, I think that's a big problem, actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I kind of figured. Here's the problem with your view. It sounds like you only care about yourself. <laughs> sounds like, well, as long as I'm okay, I don't care what anybody else goes. As long as I don't have to go to hell, then good. And I yeah, think that I can't control what anyone else does. True enough. But if you have a vision of God who can't control what anybody else does, then you don't have to say God sends people to hell. And I think that's a big advantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do so I go next or you go next? <laughs> Oh, I was going to ask if I could respond to uh, to what Doctor Ord said were the the disadvantages of the annihilationist view, but I kind of forgot part of what he said that I wanted to respond oh, to. Give me a second. Let I me said that. God doesn't give up on people. Um, okay, no I think chance. I think, and, and this is one of those because I I believe in an omnipotent God who also knows everything. I think it's that very fact that he won't control people and force them to go to heaven. And I, I think it comes to a point of he knows they've been given every chance that they will not make the choice to embrace love and to be one with love and then make it to heaven. I think that would be the response. And it's, it's really hard to give strong responses to these things when I'm like, I'm still not committed. But this conversation so far has been pushing me more towards annihilationism. So thanks, everybody. <laughs> Well, I think you make a good point because, you know, as I also think God knows everything. But what we what you mean is that God knows everything that's going to happen in the future as if it's already settled. And I don't believe that. So we have a different view of God's mm-hmm. knowledge of the future. So you can say, well, the God I believe in knows that Jimmy is never going to repent in the future and therefore, um, you know, kills him off, either actively puts him through the fire to burn him up or passively just doesn't resurrect him once he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that view is that your God also knew from all eternity the crap <laughs> that Jimmy was going to do and decided to create him anyway. Mm-hmm. So you've that- got so if you've got a God who knows everything timelessly, then you've got a God who created some people for a life of suffering and then annihilation, knowing that was going to be the case. And that just doesn't seem very loving. I agree with that being a weakness. However, I see uh, a lot of things like that. I just really wish I could like nail down what I believe about time a little bit better to, to answer. Yeah, yeah. Cause a lot of that is like, how does God relate to time? What even is time? Yeah. Um, it's a huge and important issue. Yeah. yeah. Time is, you know, time is kind of, there's no reason for God to have to experience time. Yeah. If you believe in an omnipotent God. So yeah, I disagree, but I understand what you're saying. No. Yeah. Um, so if I'm giving the, the weaknesses of everyone else's views, <laughs> this is this is the fun this is the most fun question on the outline, I think. It's like rapid fire. <laughs> um Yeah, I gotta say, Christian's God just doesn't seem very loving. Um it also has the that giant weakness of you can't believe in the Bible literally in that way. Because at some point you gotta say either all are saved or they're not. And if they're not, the Bible's not inerrant. And if they are, the Bible's not inerrant. <laughs> you know, like at some point, there's that contradiction that you can't get around, um, in my opinion. 
I should let me make sure I throw that out there. Um, yeah, Dr. Ord's God seems like for me, the issue is it's like he can't decide what he's doing. Like he can't make up his mind. Like that, they might be saying, maybe I'll reach back out to him in the afterlife. And it doesn't seem like a very certain God, which, Hey, maybe he's not a very certain God. I mean, that's certainly possible. Uh, I still, I think of that as a weakness, even within my own views. I think there are weaknesses, right. Of like, if universalism, there's this weakness of, okay, but what about, what about Hitler? What about all those other things to which my biggest response to is if you're going to say, we don't want to see Hitler, we don't want to see these other people in heaven. Then what you are also saying is that you don't want a God who's unlimitedly, who's you want the God who's limited in how forgiving he can be. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I like a God who's so loving that somehow through all the processes of maybe rebirth, maybe even the afterlife thing that Dr. Ward brought up, somehow even Hitler makes it eventually. That's just that's a God that's so loving and so forgiving that that's one that I want to believe in. So I I don't know. I just I don't I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the oh, he can't he can't save Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right when it comes to the Hitler thing. I, I think God can save Hitler. God forgives Hitler. I think you're totally- title of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I should have pointed out the other some other weaknesses to your universalist view. So oh, no, one of fine. them, <laughs> one of them is this: um, if everybody goes to the good place, no matter what they do, doesn't that undermine motivation to be self-sacrificial in the present life? Like, you know, sometimes, well, like, let's say climate change and I, you know, it sucks not using all resources I want to all the time and making sacrifices and the way I eat and the way I, how much energy I use and yada, yada, yada. If I knew that everybody goes to the good place once they die and it really doesn't matter if I try to curb my climate uh, or my use of resources, then, you know, I wouldn't be motivated in that kind of way. Mm. Or this one's even bigger for me. And I'm guessing you're going to admit to this. If God has the power to send everybody to the good life at the end, that God's sucking, doing a crappy job right now, preventing evil. The universalist God who's omnipotent is asleep on the job at the moment. Mm. Mm. A little bit, a little bit. He's got got some work to do. I I still think... (laughs) I think that my idea of all powerful God is still very similar to Tom's God. I just think that my God chooses to or desires our participation, doesn't necessarily need it. So I I still would have to say he's choosing to let us suffer for our our own decisions right now. But I think he his desire is for us to work with him to accomplish love and good now. Um, what what was the one before that? I, I was going to respond. That was that. the moral responsibility. Like, what kind of moral motivation do I have oh, yeah. to be self sacrificial if I know that I and everybody else end up good in the end? That goes back to I, I think the different ideas of salvation. I mean, if and for me it is salvation is primarily about the life you're living at the moment. I I, I think that's the motivation. I think you live a better life for doing right now. And you can live your life more full and more abundant than if you didn't. I don't think, and this is funny, this is why, this is also the weakness in TJ's argument. I think it's important that we have ideas about this because I I think it's important we combat the idea that our only motivation is the afterlife of heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. I I think it's important that we have answers to those things so that we can say, no, the important thing actually is 
are you living in God now? Because that is actually your best life, not doing whatever you want and living selfishly Yeah, is not as abundant and good for you and enjoyable as living the way that God would have you. I think that would be my answer. That's mm-hmm. a pretty good response. I got to, I, I think we might share something in common. I'd like to propose this to Ooh, you all. Fun. Not all Unity. of us. Yeah. Not all of us believe the Bible is error free, right? Some of mm-hmm. us think are inerrantists, others are not. But am I correct that the four of us would agree that the Bible doesn't clearly support our view or just one view on these issues? Okay. I would. Do we all agree? Christian, agree would you with agree you. with that, that the Bible isn't crystal clear on this issue? As in like plainly stating, you know, here's the glossary in the back? No. Yeah. I mean, you think that you have the majority of the scriptures on your side. I think yes. that about my view, probably other people might, mm-hmm. their view. But um, but you're willing to say, you know, maybe it's because of your lack of understanding or, you know, some sort of, you, you're you not omniscient yourself, but you're willing to say the Bible isn't 100% crystal clear in support of my position. Now, once, once again, the point of saying like, as we would define a term, no. But as far as I look into the Bible, I would say, yes, it does say what I say. Even like does this, that make sense? Even the passages that uh, I think somebody, maybe TJ, somebody brought, Josh brought up about, you know, all have died in Adam. Now all are alive in Christ. Uh, you would say, well, people are still going to hell. I'd have to look at the verses in context. It's been, I'll actually be there in about three chapters for letting me <laughs> yeah. move you. Okay, well, listen, let me make a broad statement. Would you say that to everyone who comes to you with a passage of scripture that they interpret as supporting universalism, that those people have misinterpreted that passage? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I guess that makes sense because if you're an inerrantist, you want a perfectly consistent scripture. So you got to blame Josh for his faulty exegesis. <laughs> True. And it's yeah. easy to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I blame Josh for a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> the problem, though, is it, it's, it kind of sounds elitist on your part, Christian. It's kind of like, you guys are all wrong, but oh, I got sure. it right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I write the description of this episode, I'm pulling a Moses. I'm going to write, Josh was the most humble of all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I would like to say, though, to be perfectly fair, I do think hell exists, but I know I have a loving God. So you believe there's an, an actual hell, but nobody goes there? Is that what you're saying? But it's empty? It's possible. Sure. Again, because I don't think deeper about that. I, you know, I think hell exists, but I know my God is loving. Yeah. You just haven't bothered doing the work to reconcile the two yet. Yep. See, that's one of those things where for me, that just drives me crazy. Yeah. 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 See, I came with the least firm view on the subject. <laughs> and by hell exists, you mean Which geographically, right? You don't uh, mean like a state of being or something like that. Explain geographically. I don't think we well, can dig like, to it if that's what. <laughs> but it's 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 somewhere that people get sent. It's not like some people think of hell, and, and I'm actually one of them. If if I had to believe in hell, I would say it's a state of disobedience to love that I can experience now and in the afterlife. But it's not a fiery furnace with pitchfork devils and pitchforks somewhere. So that is, I I think if I might have to sit down and think about this all, um, <laughs> because of this episode. But 
Uh, I think if I had to say, I would say a living hell is uh, more plausible. Hmm. Hmm. So not a geographical place, but a, a way of living that's hellish. Yeah. yeah. That's hmm. kind of the Rob Bell's view of hell too. Um, so yeah, that makes more sense to me actually. I still struggle with that evangelical upbringing where I hear Rob Bell and immediately go, ah, I can't believe that. And then I have to go, wait a minute. Let's actually read what he said. Yeah. <laughs> I, it took me forever before I actually me. bothered to read anything to disagree with. <laughs> what was that, Christian? It said I inwardly flinched at the name. Really? Huh? It's like, it's like yeah, hearing it's so funny. Yeah. It's just not as bad as I was taught it was. Even yeah. if I don't agree with everything, it's like, man. This guy was made out to be so bad for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but I'm totally with you guys. There are certain words and people from my youth that I still just grate against me. Like I don't like, like take the word liberal. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think I'm a liberal Christian. And why well, don't I think that? Because of the place <laughs> I grew up in. But you guys all think I'm a liberal Christian and so do most people in the world. Uh, you know, obviously it depends on how you define liberal and all that. But for me, it's been so ingrained that you can't be liberal that mm-hmm. I don't think of myself that way. I just think, well, that can't be me. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I, uh, in our group of like here, I feel like I'm probably in the middle in like systematic ecology that we do. I'm like slightly on the left side of that group. And then I'm going to go to theology beer camp and you're going to be there. And I'm going to be this like far right conservative guy there. <laughs> There'll be yeah. some other people like you there. So you won't <laughs> yeah. be the only one. Josh is like <laughs> the right wing extremist of theology beer camp. Yeah, I, I just can't wait. Oh, <laughs> it's good. funny because of my upbringing though, like being the like far right guy, it's like a, a sense of pride. Like I did it. I'm not a... <laughs> Yeah. I'm not a heretic after all. <laughs> uh, well, you know, even when I was a fundamentalist way back in high school, yeah. I always felt like I was a progressive fundamentalist because <laughs> I always I felt like, you know, I'm a fundamentalist, but I know there's certain things wrong with script, uh, the way people have read the Bible. There's something wrong with the church. We got to do something different. They didn't get it right. So I was always wanted to see things get better. And so I couldn't be a hardcore conservative. I remember when I used to think I was edgy because I basically just said, we need to love people that are from the LGBT community. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, now that's just kind of like, that should, just should be standard. <laughs> we'll start there maybe. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's kind of how culture progresses. Edge becomes the norm. Yeah. yeah. It's like the yeah. edge of the universe. That's not the edge for very long. I had Ooh. a philosophy professor in college who used to say, conservatives are people who worship dead liberals. And I think hmm. there's something to that. And there's something <laughs> that I conservatives look to the past and they see something there they really want to hold on to, which is fine and dandy. But what they want to hold on to was first articulated as a liberal position relative to the, the previous past. Yeah. yeah. And then you also get where it's really funny when you start seeing the more progressive people go, actually, ours is the historic position. And they start bringing up history from before those people's <laughs> yeah. history. Yeah. Like, is this actually a cycle? Is that like cliche? I was told once actually just true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do want to say one more thing. And hopefully this is quick because we have to move on. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. You mentioned your philosophy class in, in college. Uh, yeah. Do you think there is a, a philosophy that is most compatible with Christianity? Yes. Do you, uh, what that is it? Ex- 
open and relational the, uh, philosophies. So uh, <laughs> philosophies that just, believe yeah. there's real freedom in the world, that that uh, we live in direct relationship with one another and with God, that have a personal God. Right? I mean, the main theolo- philosophical tradition supporting Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Aquinas, you Gross. can't have a personal God there. And that's like, for me, that's really important. So yeah, a philosophical tradition that t- that draws upon openness and relationality. Mm. Yeah. What about I'm everyone else? So I make myself sound like progressive on on our show now. <laughs> I told my wife like yesterday, I was like, you know, I think really I'm three parts Christian, one part Taoist and two parts existentialist. <laughs> so <laughs> as far as philosophy goes, I, you know, I get almost there where I'm like, yeah, it might all be pointless. And then I'm like, I get a little bit outside of uh, Ecclesiastes later on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you, Christian? Philosophy-wise? Yeah. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't know. That's one field of study. I have done some studying in there, but it's been mostly Christian theologians, so I can't look too far into other areas, to be perfectly honest. Okay. So I I think it's Stoicism, but I mostly ask that question Hmm. to see – I think that gives a good view of how everyone else sees or how everyone else kind of vocalizes their view of hell and God and Christianity as a whole. Yeah, it makes so a lot of sense why uh, annihilation yeah. is is, is uh, so compelling to me. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'll say some aspects of cynicism. Mm. You know, Nathan Gilmore is listening and kicking himself that no one said humanist. <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> well, he knows better for me. Yeah, he should know better. So there it's w- interesting there was- though the 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 answer I gave was more of a metaphysics answer, mm-hmm. but the answer you guys are giving are more. Um, uh, like stoicism isn't a metaphysics. It's a, I don't know, philosophy of life or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe I misunderstood your question. Uh, but, but it was still a valid answer. So, well, yeah, thanks. I think they're all valid. Like, honestly, I could see each of them in there. What's funny, I even say Taoism really is pretty close to a philosophy more than a religion sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. A philosophy of life for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I don't know. I like that question. I think. There's a lot to be learned from that question. So there is one last one last question in this uh, section. Do you all think we could maintain different views and have Christian unity on this topic? I feel like it's yes. We're all here and no one's. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Dr. Ord might be a heretic. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I uh, honestly, I think my view is probably closer to his than Christian's view. <laughs> Again, all depends on what we mean by unity. Like, obviously, we don't all agree on the answer to this, so we don't have unity in that sense. Mm-hmm. If unity means we can just have a conversation together, well, yeah, I mean, I think all of us are temperamentally disposed and have certain kind of social skills that we can hang out and talk to people we disagree mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the primary meaning of unity, but I'm not sure what unity means, so maybe I'm wrong. So do you think we could – represent God together? No, I don't think so. I don't think Christian represents God well. Um, <laughs> How's that for being blunt, Christian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think any view that uh, represents God and as not perfectly loving, a God who has to have justice and can't forgive, no, nah, I don't think Christian represents God well. You other two, you're closer, I think. <laughs> I think, I think, let me say something controversial. 
Um, part of your, your question, at least in the se segment you sent me, was whether or not this is a salvation issue. Well, if salvation means living a good and full life here and into the afterlife, and if people who don't think God is perfectly loving can't live a full and good life, then, yep, this is a salvation issue. That is, views that portray God as unloving are going to cause psychological uh, psychological dis-ease uh, mm. and therefore aren't uh, promoting the full salvation I think God wants us to enjoy. See, I would imagine, if we're all being honest, we probably all have slightly different answers from this, given the perspectives. Like, sure. from Tom's perspective, that's like, yeah, that answer makes perfect sense. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I like even my worst days, like annihilation, it's hardcore. I'm not thinking of, of a loving God who's looking at, you know, Dr. Ord, TJ, or Christian going, Yeah, that's a bad apple. Got to burn that one up. You know, like, I'm like, I don't, none of y'all fit that. So, and then, you know, my universalist days, I'm like, Oh, hey, maybe they have a longer journey getting there, but we're all, so, um, if you're, if the question is more like, if I trust them to represent a loving God well, I think when Christian goes out and tells someone about God, he's telling them about a loving God. And maybe when they have conversations about other stuff that I'm like, oh, that's not really in God's character. I disagree with you. But, you know, I, to me, it's no different than if me, Christian and Tom were to go out and have we're going to tell people the good news about the greatest co-host, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. We'll all probably say some things that are a little bit different. Some of us are probably going to be a little bit wrong, but I think overall we could probably represent TJ well enough. And that's kind I of how think, I feel. <laughs> I think there's empirical evidence that you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> yeah, I would have to agree. <laughs> well, and other than TJ. <laughs> here's the empirical evidence. I know lots of people personally, and I believe there's been polls that have been, have been done, which say that people who are told God sends folks to hell, which is part of Christian's view, can't believe God is loving. So in other words, people don't hear Christian's message as good news of a loving God. They hear Christian's message as bad news, and they can't, at least some people can't believe in God. Sorry to sound like I'm picking on you, Christian, here, but I, don't know. Um, I, I think know there's, yeah, I think there's empirical evidence that belief in hell is psychologically destructive. Hmm. I haven't seen that and study, I, so I can't respond to that. Let me but promote I, a book then. Let me, hey, I mean, I think. <laughs> But I'll, I'll say I, I would gladly give – I don't think if Christian's going to tell someone about God and just from knowing Christian, I just don't think he'd probably mention hell at all. Ooh, is that right, Christian? Not unless they brought it up. So once again, mm. I don't want to be one of those people like – I don't want to be like, hey, if you walk out this building right here now, you can run over by a car and go to hell. Like no. that's not the way of going about it. Like if they ask about it, yeah, sure, I'm going to bring it up. Like I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to like – give them false assumptions of where I stand. Yeah. But my ultimate goal is that relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for this resource still. <laughs> yeah. Hell is not yeah. the motivator. It's kind of, it's the byproduct, not byproduct. Mm. What's the right word? Mm. But it seems like if you're going to present the gospel and say, here's the reason to be a follower of Jesus, to, to accept Jesus as your personal Lord or Savior, whatever it is, you're probably going to say the upsides. You know, you get to go to heaven, you get to be forgiven of your sin, you get to live a life of love, yada, yada, yada. But aren't you probably going to see the downsides that if you don't accept Jesus into your heart and what those are? And 
isn't that going to be hell if you believe in a hell? Yeah, it can certainly come up in conversation, but I'm also going to bring up the the lack of not knowing why we're here, the lack of not knowing what the reason we were made for, how to love one another and how to truly love people instead of the world's perception of that idea. And like, I'm not here to hide hell from anyone in the conversation, but it's not my starting point. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the motivation to love God is that should be that God loves you. The name of the book that I was referring to is by Mark Karras, and it's called The Diabolical Trinity, Healing Religious Trauma from a Wrathful God, Tormenting Hell, and a Sinful Self. And it just came out a few uh, months ago. So you said you used to, a lot of your evangelical method motives did have a lot of get out of hell, go to heaven kind of um, motivation. Yeah. Was yeah. that... Were you aware of it or was that just kind of like in the back of your head? Like you thought you were doing no, I it was, just for, okay. I was aware of it. I was very calculated. I, you know, I had a particular reading of the Bible that said what really mattered was the afterlife because that was unending. You know, I read that verse that John three sixteen verses talking about an unending duration of time. And, you know, it wasn't loving to think to, to want people to go to hell forever so my primary motivation for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ was to get people to say some kind of sinner's prayer so that God wouldn't send them to hell forever and would accept them into heaven. Hmm. Yeah. That honestly that is what still gets me in a lot of trouble with my non-Christian or more progressive friends who didn't grow up the same way as me is um just because of how I grew up I'm a lot more understanding of people's motives in some ways. You know, a lot of people think, um, no, they're hating the gay people and they're saying we're going to hell because they hate us and it's just this. And I'm like, you know, I think they are wrong, but I do not think it is because they hate gay people. I think a lot of people so deeply hold on to this view that you are going to burn for eternity, that they mm -hmm. genuinely care about you. And that's why they're doing this. But if you yeah. haven't grown up with that mindset, that's a hard thing for people to grasp that someone could be caring and saying. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I can comfortably disagree with old Tom. Okay. <laughs> so, good. good. I disagree with old Tom, Tom as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the younger Tom. <laughs> Which one are you, TJ? So I always think, well, either. So I always, to me, the motivation isn't to get out of hell or even to get into heaven. The motivation is to live in God's love, for God's love, to be God's people. I don't know what viewpoint that is. Uh, that's me. But that, that honestly, that's what makes it hard for me to talk about the afterlife a lot now and why I'm still in between these things, because a lot of times I'm like, you know, I don't so much care if there even is an afterlife. <laughs> like, as far as I'm concerned, if all I had was this life in God right now, that's awesome. But uh, it's hard to express that to people and them understand. And I do just enjoy theology. So I'm just, I'll talk about whatever. <laughs> yeah, I want to point out the difference between not really worrying about there being an afterlife like maybe like you said you would be a christian even if there was no afterlife and mm -hmm. i'm the same way but i think that's a different question than um i'd be a christian if there was a hell mm -hmm. if there was an actual hell i couldn't be a christian mm -hmm. um, because i don't think a loving god would create and sustain and send people to an actual hell so it's easier for me to believe there's no afterlife than there is to believe that there's a hell interesting Christian, anything in response? Because I, I, I got nothing to that one. 
<laughs> like, I get it. No? No. I think that helps really explain your view on the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see where he's coming from. I, will I disagree, say, yeah. but I see where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that, uh, you guys know, we always ask our guests if we had to provide a single tangible action to help engender church unity, which, man, what a what a thing. We talked about hell for an hour now. <laughs> But what's what is one practical thing that listeners could go do right now that would help engender unity, maybe more than telling each other they're going to hell? Yeah, I, I, I sort of have one. Not really. I usually don't participate in this, so I feel like it's fair to not really give an answer. Uh, but I think if you really lock down your views on the subject, on this particular subject, you could help uh, engender unity. How? If you lock down your views? Yeah, you know, if you just figure out what you believe. Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah. gotcha. So don't do what me or you are doing. Correct. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. How, how would that help, DJ? Well, I think it's a lot easier to unify with somebody if you know what you're disagreeing about. Mm, that's fair. Mm. Christian, <laughs> what's other practical you think people could do right now? I think it's something that uh, Tom and a couple of the people have brought up today is that idea of what is my motivation for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it solely because I want that person not to go to hell? Is it because I actually love them? Is it because I want them to turn away from the old man, the old woman of who they are now and become a new creation in Jesus Christ? Like, what is that motivation? Like, give yourself an honest assessment of why you're following the call to evangelize to others. Hmm. I'm thinking. I'm, I was, uh, Dr. Ord, let, let, you forgot, you haven't gone yet. That, that gives me a little bit of time. Yeah. So my, my action point would be to try to listen to those with whom you know you disagree with. Mm-hmm. Try to find something in their disagreement that you realize motivates them and incorporate that into your own position. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've been really hammering Christian's view here because I think it's <laughs> the wrong view to have. Uh, but I feel like I, I look easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Um, but I think I'm, I'm guessing Christian is partly motivated, given his answers, with a kind of sense of justice and fairness. And um, I also want to be just and fair. Now, the way I go about that is different than he does. But um, I think that's a noble motivation, even if the view of the afterlife he has is one I can't um, stomach. I, guess I, I love Dr. Ord's answer. He should have went last because that, that's a much better answer than what I was going to give. I'm still going to give mine. They're all be let down right now. Yeah, everybody be prepared <laughs> to be disappointed. Um, I think find somebody who doesn't go to your local church. I don't care if they're Christian or not. Find out what kind of plants they like and ask if you can plant it for them. Because in my mind... Focusing on life is just something, there's something powerful to that that engenders care. And I think just doing something for else, there's, it's actually something that's been shown in a few different studies. If you ask someone to do you a favor and they do you a favor, they feel more indebted to you because they did something for you. And I think it does also work the other way around. If you do something for someone else, you end up caring more about them. So I just think it's a, a good thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're supposed to ask what would happen if we practiced all of these spiritual disciplines. Uh, we all answered that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Uh, before we wrap up, oh, well, you, you had something, Tom? I was going to say what I don't think will happen is that we all agree with one another. Yeah, that's correct. Right. Uniformity is no. not going to happen. No. Yeah, <laughs> I agree yeah. that I disagree. It's fine. <laughs> so before we wrap up, we always ask everyone to share a moment where they saw God and recently, whether it be a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, whatever it is, I always make Joshua go first. So Joshua, do you have a God moment for us this week? Yeah, yeah, have a great one. And uh, Christian already mentioned that he wanted to go after me. But uh, yes. we went and got, were able to get photos done through work for free by professional photographers because they're practicing for Christmas season coming up in a few months. So we went and did that. And on the way home, we took my wife's car and her tire just got shredded, which was just awful. And, um, and, and Dr. Ord will be pleased to know that uh, family worked with God to bless us. <laughs> with Good. new tires and um yeah it ended up being a blessing but it was a very stressful and challenging day uh, until then so christian all right and yeah the reason i'm going after joshua is on that very same day uh, on a saturday i was going back home from louisville to go see my pastor's last sermon on sunday because he's retiring after this well lo and behold about 45 to an hour in my po- my tire pops and I'm left stranded on the road in a part of Kentucky I, I have only passed by. So through that all, like talking with my dad to get the proper people to call to uh, for help, I got towed. I got to meet a nice guy there who a uh, recovering alcoholic who has you know, just started coming back to church, is reunited with his family. And like this job is like giving him, it's been like several years he's been free. Uh, and just talking about how God has affected the both of us. That was very enriching. But I also called Joshua around the time that he was dealing with his car. Yeah. I ignored his phone call about his tire because I was dealing with the tire situation. <laughs> because I was going to ask him about something we were planning to do. Yeah. And obviously that didn't work. So, yeah, that's that's where it was. And I'll say my other one, because I have to cheat and do more than one, is before that, the week before, I got to go back home and my sister and brother, excuse me, a brother and sister-in-law came down with my little niece and I got to hang out with her, hold her in my arms, tell her how much I loved her, even though she she's not even two months old. She doesn't know, but she knows. And I had a grand old time and I love that kid more than anything. I, yeah. I have one question. Go for what it. Day, what day was this? Saturday. Okay. Okay. Yes. I thought my tire thing was going to be on the same day. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not going to do the tire thing. It seems a little overplayed at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're more I, just, I got mine replaced. They're good. Uh, man. Uh, so work. Once again, we, we go through these seasons where there are no managers because the managers quit. So I'm back to working 10 to 12 hours a day. Right. Except for Tuesdays. Um, uh, but it's going to be okay because I have a loving God and I'm going to be all right <laughs> yeah. for the duration, however long it lasts. Or Amen. it's going to give me the strength to quit and find a new job. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So, Tom, I uh, figured we'd say what was probably going to be the best for last yeah, well, I don't know if mine's the best, but Sunday evening, I went hiking out in the Owyhees, which is in a remote area in southwest uh, Idaho into Oregon. And it was right on the Idaho-Oregon border. And I hiked into a canyon. I came out and I was heading back to my vehicle and a six or seven pronghorn 
which are the fastest land animals in North America, came flying over this area. They didn't see me. They must have been running from something else. And they came down next to me, and they went to the bottom of the valley, and I kept hiking. I got close enough to take a picture, of a few pictures. They weren't great. Then they saw me, and they headed off another direction. And I felt free. I felt I was in the midst of wild abandon, wide openness. And for me, that's an indication of a God moment. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. That's a good one. That's a great one. You should go to Cumberland Island one time with us. Uh, so, that at? That'd be fun. Oh, it's on the Florida. The Georgia other side line. of the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's nice. Wild horses, Jurassic Park oh. Island, mansions, <laughs> or ruins of huh. mansions. Huh. Yeah. Really helps add to the abandoned effect. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, wild family of albino deer. Yeah, that is, that is pretty cool. Uh, so, uh, if you're listening, if you've listened this far, thank you. What a trooper. Uh, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can share it with an enemy. Uh, cousins? Share it with your cousins. We like that option a lot. Yes. And uh, once again, if you are on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. It helps us more than you could possibly know unless you know these things, in which case, you know, do it. It takes no time. I mean, it's pretty much true. Almost no time. Also, uh, check out the Anazel Ministries Podcast Network. Uh, we have several shows on there. Just amongst us here, we have the show you're listening to now. You have Let Nothing Move You with Christian, Dummy for Theology with me, all three of us, and like nine others are part of Systematic Geekology. It's a really fun time because you want to hear about some geek stuff. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to be interviewing Grace and Alex Trans of the Let's Unpack That podcast. Then we're going to be taking a one-week break before starting our series of episodes about church art and theology, our ecumenical aesthetics series, featuring return guests Elizabeth Clyde, Will Rose, Professor Chris Moreland, Shana Watson, and more. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Yeah, he doesn't know that, though, so someone might need to tell him <laughs> yeah someone has to let him know that he is invited yeah it's desperate one day yeah yeah thank you for listening to the whole church podcast again you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast or on captivate.fm or on apple podcast you can also leave us a one-time tip through captivate Thank you for listening.